Welcome to the Health Equity Dialogues. I'm Emily Gratup with Nebraska Extension, and I'm with Key Peralt, a student at Lincoln High. We are bringing you the Health Equity Dialogues today from Lincoln, Nebraska. The Health Equity Dialogues are safe, generative spaces for sharing, listening, and connecting around the commonality of health and equity experiences and are created in partnership with Nebraska Extension's Health Equity Coalition and Youth Health Equity Project. In these dialogues, we acknowledge that health is not accessible in equitable amounts to all people and all social identities. And we explore the reasons and stories behind those inequities. Our purpose is to spark meaningful connections with people who are different than us through empathy and storytelling so that we can forge new infrastructures where every person experiences a healthy, high-quality life without discrimination. We're here today with Elton Edmond and Dr. Jake Kirkland, Jr., two men who will recount their experiences and provide insights to accessing health from their perspectives. So firstly, I'd like to ask both of you about your background, experiences with healthcare, and career experiences. Uh, again, my name is Jake Kirkland, Jr., born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, left there in 1969 to go to Shadron State College in northwest corner of Nebraska. Um, came, grew up in a single-parent household lived in tenement housing. Um, we were, many people would consider us the ghetto uh, um, where you had dilapidated buildings around you and you had to navigate that as, as a community. Um, you saw folks in the streets that uh, should be working, but they weren't working. Uh, you saw people hovered around garbage cans in the wintertime with fire and they're having conversations similar to the conversations people have in barber shops about what's going on in the neighborhood and so on and how is life treating them. Um, being able to navigate what I saw and what I was hoping for. Athletics was a ticket for me to get outside of that. Athletics was a source of uh, rejuvenation, given my situation that I lived in. Um, develop a very strong work ethic and uh, saw things happening in my community that I didn't really understand uh, in terms of diabetes, alcoholism, um, Folks losing hope, uh, homelessness, starvation, all kinds of things. And and uh, and yet I wanted a better world for myself. And athletics was the vehicle that I used to keep my spirits up and so on. And it took me outside of New York City to Shadron, Nebraska and... Um, Gave me a chance to see how other people live. Uh, gave me a chance to look at an environment where the health disparities was not as visible to me as they were where I grew up. And uh, um, 
it's helped me realize that some of the things that was happening in my community doesn't always happen in every other community. And as I was moving along life's highway, I chose physical education as my major in undergrad, phys ed and health ed. And those were important to me because I knew that if I could place emphasis and I saw what it did for me, that hopefully I could do the same for others and what have you. Um, And then as I continued to go through my undergrad, I realized the world was even bigger than just health education and physical education and so on. Uh, There's some other things you need uh, to have with you as you move along. And I found out later in life, after having two hip replacements, going through two episodes of blood clots, um, prostate cancer, you know, after a while, you kind of, you have a lot to be thankful for. And yet I know that uh, when I looked at the health, the hip replacements, I would see people in my community growing up where they needed some help, but they didn't have the resources to deal with a lot of that, to be very honest with you. And so many people just accepted it as a way of life. And um, that always troubled me, you know, uh, because I'm kind of a person that likes to be positive, but yet be realistic and and my thinking and what have you. And uh, but when I look at those kinds of things, at least it gives you some idea of my journey. Uh, I'd be more than happy to dive a little deeper into the conversation as we move along. Thank you, Jay. Elson, give us a little bit of your background too. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Kirkwood. That was awesome to hear. So um, so my name is uh, Elton Edmond. I'm the uh, director with Mentoring Plus, also work with the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, so for me, especially one of the things that has uh, me involved with mentoring and also with health disparities. So for me, I grew up in North Omaha. So I grew up in poverty. So again, I was someone that was firsthand living experience of seeing all these things that we talked about that we'll be talking about today. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, it was quite interesting. So my wife and I, we were in uh, Omaha over the weekend. And as we were looking around the community and everything, and I, I told her how interesting it was that the frequency of seeing uh, underserved communities, seeing people like number one with like canes, seeing people that had vision issues, seeing people that with all these different things, what it's so different than what we're seeing in Lincoln. You know, so it's one of those things that really got to me where it's like, what can we do to help people um, help address these uh, health disparities? And what is the thing most importantly that we can help the youth? So that's been my main motivation for uh, beginning with uh, Mentoring Plus and being able to help kids and help youth and help the community. So for me, again, my driving passion as far as especially for helping you, helping people in the situations are just because I was one of those people, you know, I've had the lived experience of being able to see it, being able to live through. Um, after um, growing up in North Omaha, I graduated from Peru State College, went on to get my master's degree there. And again, as Dr. Kirkland said, a lot of that through athletics. But it's really helped me to be able to have a frame of reference to what are some things that we can do to address um, poverty, address uh, health disparities, and address just the overall health of everyone. So today, I'm, you know, I'll be pretty much sharing today my positive experiences with health and sharing some of those 
but also going back to how it's uh, addressed other people, you know, other men like me, other black and brown men, other African-American men. So for me, you know, the, one of the most important things that has happened um, this past fall, I had some medical issues. And again, they went great with, uh, you know, I had spent like after, after about close to a year of having some discomfort, having some pain, and quite honestly, listening to my wife saying, uh, you need to go get this checked out. <laughs> so I finally went in to get it checked out. And I went to my uh, primary doctor, went and shared with him about this pain that I have in my lower abdomen, a uh, lipoma that I needed to have re uh, removed, and also just frequent urinations. So after running me through a batter battery of tests and different observations, he was able to come back and referred me to an ultrasound referred me to all these specialists so you know for me it was just important that there where i really sat and just thought like blessed i was and how great it was that i had a family position that would that i had known for 10 to 20 years but he was able to get me connected to the right resources and to the right things but also i was able to reflect back on people other men other african-american men other black and brown men that i'm in relationship with who don't have that opportunity, you know, who don't have that opportunity to have a primary care physician, who don't have that opportunity to have a primary care physician who knows them intricately like mine does, and to be able to take action. So even though my health scare dissolved, you know, after consulting with him, it was, I felt so comfortable because he was referring me into with different people and different specialists. And those are some of the things, again, where as far as the health disparities for people without a primary care provider, for people without that deep relationship, it definitely would have, uh, as it would have been in my case, it would have um, increased into something else. You know, something else would have, been, would have became problematic. Something else would have been more entrenched. So for me, it's just really helpful to be able to have that relationship and be able to see how health disparities could be fixed. So that's a little bit of as far as my uh, story and what are some of the things that have brought me here today. But Elton brings up the one of the one element that's very important, advocacy. Many folks of color don't have that, you know. We have been blessed to have a physician that we could go to and begin to then have him or her direct us to where we can reach out and get the necessary services that we need to have and what have you. And I know with my wife, with me running around uh, trying to stay fit at 74, you know, uh, I always bring her along because I want to make sure that somebody can advocate for me, <laughs> given some of the new faces I've been running into and what have you. And I'm again, going back to my childhood where uh, the doctor could tell you something However, somehow by the time you got home, the, the story changed a little. Whereas if two people hear it, you know, then you, you know, you got a better chance to keep it straight and what have you. you know, I heard this and so did my wife. She heard the same thing. Or she heard something completely different. But as long as you get the story straight and what have you. And so she's a, it's very important for us as a people to have somebody serve in an advocacy role. That's extremely important. Yeah, thank you for sharing those those comments. So advocacy, it sounds like is important in the healthcare setting. 
having someone to advocate on your behalf, and even to make sure that you're hearing the same thing and that the story is the same between the two people that are there. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And just to build on that, because that, that's been helpful in my case also. You know, because when you're sitting there, especially when I, you know, when I shared this uh, with my uh, primary care provider this fall, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm hearing it and I'm kind of, admittedly, I'm a little bit afraid and admittedly, I'm stressed. So yeah. truly, my my hearing is like reduced. Right. <laughs> and it, I'm it, hearing it. one thing and I'm not hearing the other thing. So mm-hmm. fortunately, my wonderful wife was be able, able to be there to help kind of intercept and help kind of decode some of the things that my primary care provider was saying and Mm -hmm. definitely made the situation again a lot better you know Mm -hmm. and made it where I can be comfortable at the end and when I got home I could say well I didn't hear this and she's like Mm -hmm. well how didn't you hear it he said it that does happen (laughs) yes yes so I think that self-advocacy is very important and also as in my case care provider was able to be a self-advocate for me you know so he mm-hmm. was so quickly to say we're going to get this checked out and mm-hmm. you know and I, I quite didn't know what to expect when I was sharing with him but I definitely did not expect that he would just become such a powerful self-advocate in saying you're going to go see this specialist you're going to mm-hmm. go see a urologist we're going to get you tested for this and just really outline, like I say, he became a quarterback in my situation to be able to be a self-advocate with knowledge, <laughs> you know? So he became mm-hmm. a self-advocate with knowledge, but also a self-advocate for me who actually cared about me mm-hmm. and wanted to make my situation better. So definitely something that's really helpful and a really helpful way to, to address some of the uh, health disparities. Well, to play off what you just said, Elton, who cares about the people that are that we're talking about that are missing out. Who cares about them, you know? Yes. Other than their family, that's about, you know, other than that, you know, you don't always see that, you know? Um, other people really reaching out and, and really uh, doing some of the things that needs to be done for the community that these individuals live in and so on. Yeah. You know? And I even thought of the fact that your wives could go with you, but there might be some people out there who don't have the ability to have their partner go with them. Sure. They might be working or not be able to get the time off, or maybe it's a single parent household. So what does that mean for others who need that advocacy? Sure. When they're in that situation where they're the ones who are stressed or having to hear hard things. Yes, absolutely. Moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have some statistics here we wanted to, to highlight and get your reaction to. So the National Health Institute says that men are 24% less likely than women to have visited a doctor within the past year, but are 32% more likely to be hospitalized. And then black men are far less likely to access health care than white men or any group of women, and black men are 75% less likely to have health insurance than white men. Um, this is something I've personally seen in my own father. Um, my father's black, and he absolutely refuses to go to the doctor, even if he's, like, super sick or ill. Um so I was just wondering, how do these statistics relate to your personal experiences, and why do you think that um, men, especially Black men, um, kind of avoid the doctor in some ways? I I have my thoughts on it, and, and I emphasize my thoughts on it. Uh, there is a, a stigma out there, macho, you know, there's that macho stigma out there. Uh, and I think if you get beyond that, Finances becomes another thing. I, I don't need to check myself out every uh, six months or once a year. You know, 
one, can I afford it? Uh, or is it a necessity? We have a tendency to wait until the crisis now. Then it's like, oh, I wish I would have done it earlier, you know. Uh, and, you know, I, maybe Elton has some reasons why, uh, you know, like I said, I, it's my perception that it's the macho because I can use my own situation. Uh, when I had the uh, blood clots, I, you know, I just refused to maybe do some of the things, particularly changing my lifestyle, you know, uh, which diet, um, uh, beverage, you know, and so on. I, you know, you can't just live high on a hog. You got to, what is it? Moderation is extremely important in things. And um, if you don't take care of yourself, health-wise, you know, food intake, exercise, stimulating the mind and so on, uh, you're going to get ill some way, for sure, you know. But why wait until they give you the report that there's very little we can do? Then that, that's a real tragedy. That's a real tragedy. Yeah, that's a great point, Dr. Kirkland. And, and again, that's a uh, great question. So um, for me, from my thoughts, there are two things. So I think one is that um, a lot of black men, a lot of black and brown men, number one is that they are afraid of going into the doctor. You know, so for me, I go to the doctor every year, no matter what. My friends who I'm, in, who I'm always talking with, they refuse to go every year. And I'd say one of the first things is that they are afraid because in um, African-American families, there are histories and they have either experienced it or they've heard about people being mistreated by the medical profession and people being misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed by the medical profession, or sometimes just people going in for something that they didn't need to get and they actually come out worse. So there is a truly a real fear, especially amongst uh, African-American men about going to the doctor because they have heard about things in the past in which Things have been done to uh, black men, you know, intentionally sometimes in the medical profession. And it may have been years ago, but yet and still that is uh, something that they hear. It's um, a reality. Also, yep. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. And then also just that total fear of finding out that's wrong with them. You know, so with my friends, I'm always talking about, well, why don't you go? And they're like, well, hey, much rather um, hear about it when it's a problem than before I get there. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want to be worried and stressed all my life and worry what's going on. So for them, they're, you know, in my discussion with them, they're always, hey, I don't want to worry about it now. I'll worry about it when I have to. So mm -hmm. I think there is just that um, inherent and probably increased fear among uh, African-American men to really go in and get that help and get the assistance. And also, as uh, Dr. Kirkland said, there definitely is that fear, that machoism that kind of says, eh, I don't need a doctor, you know, I'm okay. So, and fortunately, as I've already shared in Dr. Kirkland's and I's situation, we have wives that say, you're not that tough. <laughs> and we have wives that say, uh, you're gonna go in and I don't care how afraid you are, you're gonna go in and get checked out. Mm -hmm. So I think, and and in both of us, you know, Dr. Kirkland and I, we attend some different meetings together. So men's health is something that always comes up. And now there are discussions um, 
among black and brown men, there are discussions about to get checked out, you know, and there are people that hear Dr. Kirkland's stories, they hear other people's story about them being diagnosed with something, diagnosed with prostate cancer. So at least now, I think there are discussions and dialogue that speak yeah. to, you need to go get checked out. Yeah, it but, certainly has yeah. improved. It has improved over the last, I think, 10, 15 years that there's more advocacy in the various communities that to encourage folks to get an early checkup, you know, for a variety of reasons. Yep. Yep. There is. Yeah. And, and I think that speaks to the part of your question that you talked about, you know, the difference between men and women and the hospitalization rates and the going, you know, so women, I think are more, at least with my wife, I mean, and I hear her in conversations with her uh, female friends, they're more willing to talk about their problems, you know, their medical problems. Yeah, they're they're more willing more. to talk about their health scares. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, it's a, it's a, it's a daily point of their conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas us, especially as African-American men, we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't talk about it. We don't mention it. We don't address it. And I think part of it again is uh, related to that fear aspect. So, um, so and then also another part of your great, your great question that you had was to talk about the financial impact. So definitely um, some of the health disparities are financially related, mm -hmm. you know? So I know in my case where I have great insurance, I have great medical providers, but even when you pay yes, the, uh, yes. even when you, yes. you still have a portion that's left over for that person to pay, you know? And sometimes, so again, some, some of the uh, procedures that I've had recently, one of them was considered an elective procedure. I considered it pretty major because it was causing me pain. But as I look back at some of the bills that I had to pay with it, truly, if there would have been some people with either less mm -hmm. insurance or if there would have yeah. been someone with less finances, I could easily see that person saying, I'm mm -hmm. not going to get this done. You know, and I could easily see that person deciding to yes. live with it, which would have then resulted in something else becoming a problem because of those, the financial, yes. even after the, the deductibles, which you have to pay, you know, where you have to get something from the lab, you have to get something from here, something from there. So a lot of uh, black and brown men, I think would, would make the decision to say, I'm not gonna get treated. I'm not going through that process because it's going to cost a certain amount to do it. And not only that, would it cost something up front, but for a mm -hmm. lot of people who are, especially frontline workers, for them to um, get whatever procedure done, they're going to have to take off time off work. And so for a lot of people, when they take time off work, they're taking money out of their pocket. So they're having to make a, in, in my case, I had to make a decision about my health is pretty important here. But with a lot of the people in the, in the community, they're having to make a decision that says, can I really afford to take off two days? <laughs> and then as a result of me taking off two days, get some additional bills that are going to come in that I'm going to have to pay for. And, you know, is it worth it? And a lot of people unfortunately decide, no, it's not worth it. And they can't, and they realistically can't do it. You know, they really realistically can't um, absorb that financial impact. I concur 100% with what Eldon has said. And I agree the research that numbers that you shared with us are fairly accurate, you know, but I thought the question was, why is it that we, and hopefully we've given you some reasoning why we think it is what it is, you know, and because um, that was one of the things I had on my list, the, the financial resource dimension, because even with all the uh, re retirement plans we have, there's still 
this out of pocket piece that you got to watch. And I, <laughs> yeah. I'm even more concerned about when they do the medical piece. You know, I, I look at my sheet. My God, you told me $3,200 to do this or to do that, you know? And just think if I had to pay that, you know, or somebody had to pay, you know, it makes you kind of really kind of step back because I think about the people that Elton was talking about in our community. They don't have that kind of money. They just do, no. you know? And no. so the question, what do they do when they have those situations where they need medical attention, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh. And- yeah. And unfortunately, they decide, I don't want to go through it. You know, so it kind of reminds me of this situation. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I were out uh, shopping and this gentleman had fallen and he was unconscious. So we all, my wife and I, other people, we go over and help this gentleman and uh, get, some, get some towels for the blood from his head make sure that someone calls 911 to get this gentleman taken care of. So as we were trying to take care of him, he ends up, you know, he wakes up, you know, he was totally knocked out. He ends up waking up and we were kind of telling him what was going on, where he's at, you know, how he uh, had fallen, wipe off the blood and everything. And we told him, uh, hey, we called the ambulance. The ambulance is going to be coming. So this gentleman was someone, you know, uh, man of color and also you could visibly you could tell that he was of someone of lower socioeconomic uh, uh, means there and this gentleman once we said that um, we had called the ambulance this guy came as coherent as possible and he refused I'm not going into any ambulance I'm not going I'm not going at all so I remember my wife and I and the other people talking like why is this guy so, you know, why is he so vehemently opposed to going to the emergency room and going to the ambulance? So just with my situation here just recently, you know, I had to go into the emergency room and get taken care of. And again, my insurance covered most of it, but there are some of the, as Dr. Kirkland said, some of those out-of-pocket costs. And for me, and, and for me, we were totally fine with paying them. But someone of lower socioeconomic, which is probably what this, why this guy was so mm-hmm. against doing it, Nine for them to pay ten. some of those yep. advanced bills and be responsible for it. They, yep. as this gentleman said, they would one hundred percent say, "I'm not doing it." Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen this gentleman, of, of course, since then. But when you don't get it taken care of, it results in additional medical mm-hmm. problems, additional things that people have to face. So all of a sudden, this whatever caused him to blackout and uh, fall from the mm-hmm. beginning, this bruise that was on his head, now all of a sudden it turns into something else, something else is impacted, and then there go kind of the uh, differences in the health care and health services, which all goes back to that finances. Mm-hmm. You know, the finances saying, for this gentleman, his decision was, do I go to this emergency room knowing that there's going to be some additional finances as a result of uh, me going into the room? And he, in his case, was vehemently opposed to it mm-hmm. me in my case was like uh i have to go you know i have to go get checked out so so i think those are again some of the the, the second part of your question the financial impact mm-hmm. does definitely have a um impact on it yeah. what both of you said really aligned with a lot of the research i did in articles i read leading up to this discussion and it also aligned with um what i see in my own father he mm-hmm. is very scared of the doctor he had experiences with hospitals and stuff a lot when he was younger being diagnosed with ADHD and I know that was really traumatic for him so I think that's also part of the reason he avoids it mm-hmm. but I know he's also afraid that he won't be listened to 
by um, health professionals yeah. that they'll um, kind of work around what he's actually saying and um, think it's something else that he's not saying. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also a fear and it's like a, a fear of authority as well, which is um, really common in um, people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also wanted to ask this question. Um, I read an article by PBS about how black men and women often adjust their behaviors or their personalities to reduce chances of discrimination in healthcare settings. Is this something either of you have personally experienced or seen or talked about with other people? I'm going to defer to to Elton on that for right now, because I want a little more. Could you give me a little more with that question? You know, um, yeah, and what, what and I'll kind of, I just need a I'll kind of share a couple of things, and then maybe if we can elaborate yeah. on the question a little bit, also. Um, so I think um, again, a great question. But you talked about some of the fear and everything that your father may have. So hopefully, as a result of this podcast and some of the things that the uh, coalition has done in the past, I think one of the things again that our medical providers need to be aware of to maybe almost just to conclude that African-American men, you know, so for me, it would be helpful for the providers to just take that for granted. And then their response, I think, is going to become empathetic as it was with my medical provider. You know, so th- you that response what I think is likely the, to become. Can you repeat what you want the medical provider to take for granted, because I think you cut out. I think it was really important and it lost it. <laughs> Thank you. I think it would be just to take it for granted that a lot of uh, Black men, that, that when they come into that setting, that they are fearful, that there is a degree of being afraid. So even though myself, you know, I may look physically like I'm okay, but the reality is a lot of it does, again, because of my culture, because of my race, when I go into that medical provider, I actually am afraid of what might what I might hear. So I think it would be helpful for our medical providers to really start the, start the conversation and start the dialogue with, I'm dealing with someone that is in stress. <laughs> I'm dealing with someone that is afraid. I'm dealing with someone that is somewhat high on that uh, worry an anxiety scale. And I think that would help to kind of enhance the communication and would help kind of drive the dialogue a little bit more. And back to the, again, the great question that you had, I think it would open up the opportunities for me as an African-American male to speak and would also open it up more for the medical provider to be able to listen. You know, And I think that would be driven by that sense. That, and I think, it, I think it would be something natural with all of our medical that natural degree of empathy that says I'm dealing with someone that's in need here Mm -hmm. you know even though my eyes might see something differently all this is someone that is has a degree of fear and a degree of a concern about what they might hear or what they might participate so um then also the second part of your question was you know have I um act a different way because of fears or concerns or different things. So I would say, yes. You know, so I'd say years ago, um, um, when I had to go in for different medical procedures or when I had to take my kids in, 
oftentimes one of the first question one of the first questions was almost this uh the the basic question was do you have insurance you know so and, and it was almost as though the fighter was though that they weren't going to do anything until they found out that I had insurance. So I think for me, especially with these last events that I've been, uh, been a part of, you know, just recently I had an opportunity to go to one of the uh, Ryan healthcare facilities. And I, I actually went in there with, again, a degree of anxiety and a degree of what, knowing that the person was going to ask, do you have insurance? Where's your insurance card at? You know, because in the past, like I say, it was almost asked before my treatment was rendered or before any observation or diagnosis was given. But recently at the, one of the Bryant Healthcare facilities, you know, I go in there with that. About, okay, I have to make sure I have my insurance ready. I have to be ready to report on it. And this person, they were so in tune to my medical issues. Anything about my insurance card, it was nothing. They asked no questions about until way deep into the conversation mm -hmm. did they get to my insurance. You know, how did that make you feel knowing that you had that experience before where it yes. was all about insurance to now where it's more about you? Tell us about yes. that. Again, uh, <laughs> back to the question that you had, it made me feel, number one, is it was listened to. You know, I went in there, as I have done in the past, I went in there because I had a medical issue. And I needed to get some help and get some assistance. And they were listening. You know, they were listening to what was going on. They were listening. They were asking questions. They were engaged with me because of my medical concerns. Whereas previously and in other settings, they were engaged with my possession of this insurance card, <laughs> which is linked to my ability to pay, to actually listening and hearing what I had to say. So I think back to your point again, yes, there have been times in the past where I've had to quote, act differently or come in, as in this case, I had to come in with locating my insurance card <laughs> before I was prepared to do it, to be at, in anticipation of them asking questions, which again, as part of the Bryant Healthcare Services, it was like fantastic because they were 100% into the dialogue about me and what was going on, so. Especially in the article I read, it said that um, they'll adjust the way they dress, the way they talk. Um, they'll say different words that they wouldn't usually say to sound more professional. And that it, it kind of becomes like going to the doctor kind of becomes this whole event that they feel they need to like prepare for and kind of put on a show for. And well, that's something I've definitely seen in my own family. It becomes like, we have to prepare for this. We like, what are we going to say to the doctor? How are we going to say it? So I was wondering if like, especially with um, like talking differently or um, adjusting like patterns of speech, that's something that they really focus on in the article. And I was wondering if either of you have any. Um, like, my, uh, my, my concern, yeah, I, I just had a ultrasound just a few hours ago, but in setting up that, that was always the first thing I got. Do you have you? What's your insurance situation? And I get appalled when I get that. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I really do because you 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 want to deal with my ability to pay versus <laughs> what my concern is, and and especially for, you're you're a part of a health facility, and especially the doctors and their training. I hope today puts more emphasis on 
taking care of the patient and not worrying about their ability to pay first. However, that's too realistic. They want to know if you can pay first, then we'll take care of you. And as we have stated along the way, there are people in the community that cannot afford to pay, you know, but they have mm -hmm. ailments that need addressing. And uh, it, it's just very troubling for me when I get that question is put to me. And I, there are times when I really get a little livid about it because it's like, I'm blessed that I know what my brothers are experiencing. I also know what expectations I can have of you as a professional. But not everybody has lived both experiences. And so um, it's just a very frustrating thing. And, and the part about, unfortunately, many doctors, and, and I know they're under stress, but we're hoping through this podcast to educate not only our young people of color, but also mm -hmm. those professionals who are practicing medicine to serve people and that they need to be more sensitive to the reality mm -hmm. that we have a history of people not having an equal portion of the pie. So how can you put the same expectation on them when you know they don't have a portion of the pie that other people have and what have you, but yet they still do, you know, and to the point where if you can't produce some sort of insurance and what have they may not be in a hurry to serve you, which is really <laughs> yeah. kind of a catastrophe in my opinion, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many things going on there with our, yes. our healthcare system, the yes. systemic issues that have been yes. there. Systemic is the key word. <laughs> yeah. And I'm even hearing um, the need for breaking down some of these barriers at all yes. levels. So I don't know about you, but when I walk into a doctor's office, it's not the physician that's asked me for insurance. It's that front yes. desk person. The gatekeeper. I call them yeah. gatekeepers. Yes. The gatekeeper. Yes. Okay. But they've been told that's what they need to do. Right. Yeah. They've been told yeah. that. Yeah. So it's the training. It's that, yes. it's that person that, yeah, who they put at that front desk and what yes. they're training yep. them and teaching them and how they're interacting with people that yep. they're there to serve. So do you think that discrimination is more like intentional malice or is it more like a systemic issue within like healthcare? I, well, there are many other areas that this same situation occurs and what have you. So to answer your question bluntly, it's a systemic thing. Let's face it. I mean, we're in 2024, 2024. We've had issues of this concern for years. I grew up in it and I'm 74. So, you, you know, I've been hoping along my journey that some things will change and to some degree they have, but there's some things that remain the same. We want to point our finger at the people that are living in certain poverty conditions and what have you. Well, they're not the problem, you know, that why blame them, you know, but yet we do, you know, you know, yeah. why not provide some health care? Why not provide the kind of quality of education and training that they need so they can improve their situation, not only for them, but for members of their community, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that. You know, I think there's something more global. You know, I don't think most cases are a person trying to practice discriminatory practices or try. I mean, I don't think it's like the gatekeeper that uh, Dr. Kirkland was talking about. I don't think most of those people are saying we're going to try to be intentionally 
uh, rude or disparaging or anything. I don't think it's that, but I think it's just more, there are just things that are associated with the socioeconomics. There are things that are associated with the ability to pay. There are things that are associated with those that make it almost, again, where some of those medical and health disparities are more likely to occur. So, you know, throughout this discussion, we've heard things um, like first and foremost about advocacy, advocacy, having someone there to advocate for you, for the patient. Um, you've even talked about, um, you know, different family members' experiences and what it, what that's like. We've talked about uh, fear and the role that fear plays, especially for African-American men who are entering into that doctor medical system scenario. And I'm curious, um, we, you know, you've, you've advocated even for, for physicians, for the systems to change, to be more inviting. If you were to propose solutions, things that we could really do in our community to create change so that after in the next 74 years, it won't look the same for the next generations that will come into our medical systems. What are those solutions that you have in mind? Have the medical field, have some people of color that look like the community that is to be served and have small functions that they can, you know, in, uh, on Juneteenth and, and, and uh, Cinco de Mayo with professionals go out and let it be known, here's a, a bus, a truck that you can come and get a self-test on your prostate. Or let me take your blood pressure to see if you are, you know, they, they somehow trust, and I emphasize trust, those that look like them that are coming into the community to at least get them going or thinking about their health situation. And I think that while they're doing this, the medical profession can be doing a self-check of itself. How can we now help these people move from point A to point B to get the necessary services, you know? So kind of making healthcare more um, kind of relaxed or? Yeah, well, it would do that, you know, yeah. because again, if I go into say the Malone area and I'm, we, we've decided to have some sort of health fair associated with a, another event and people can, you know, begin to see, oh, this is not as painful as I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Or I know a little more today than I knew yesterday about my health or my, uh, well, sugar diabetes is still a very enemy in, in the people of color community and, and, and so on. And so again, here's how you can begin to check this, you know, uh, and then we have another program that you can gradually in your community, that you can go to mm -hmm. once or twice a week or whatever, you know, it's again, working with the health profession people. How can we have something right there in the community where these people can get some immediate services? Or yeah. So making it less of like a planned, like this doctor's appointment's been right in my mind it, for two months and it's been building up in my head. It's more exactly. of a casual thing where you're right. able to just drop right. in. And mm -hmm. it sounds like it's bringing the, the medical services to the community yeah. and yes. so having an expectation that everyone yeah. can get to a clinic and wants to go to a clinic and, and afford the clinic. Right. And if I don't have transportation, I can't get to a clinic, yeah. you know, and many of the people don't have their own transportation. But somebody will say, why can't they ride a bus? Well, that, then I got to pay, you know, 
or maybe yeah. I don't have that, or you know, just yeah. I often just yeah. listen to people always trying to come up with some reasonable reason why a person can't do this or shouldn't, you know. Yeah. Walk in another person's yeah. shoes first. Walk in their shoes and you'll find out. Yeah. So it sounds like the empathy-based yeah. solution is to go yeah. to the people. Yeah. Yeah. That also and I think kind sense. of sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think just kind of to build up on what Dr. Kirkland was sharing, um, something that we've been doing that I've been doing is just having that dialogue with uh other African American men, other black and brown men to talk about health and having that discussion about have you had a yearly checkup? Why haven't you? So I think just having those discussions with people to kind of desensitize people to that fear that they may have of the medical profession. So I think th that is something. And then I also think uh, globally, one of the things that uh, could be done is to really have some, um, it would almost be discussions about finances available for people that are considering these medical procedures or medical processes. So it would almost be helpful, I think, to be back, back to the advocacy part. It would almost be helpful to have some discussion about this is the procedure that you need. This is likely to be your out-of-pocket cost. This is how this can be paid. You know, So I think just something to be able to give a person viable options and viable um, avenues doesn't result in them having to decide between finances and their health. So I think something structured, a structured way to kind of help navigate through that financial part and also to navigate through that insured part, you know, uh, would be, I think, something that would be helpful. And one of the things that, and I'm going to share this, as we are bringing, say, these portable clinics to the community, there can be emphasis on mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, wellness. Uh, I was very fortunate, again, being an athlete, many of this had to be in place if you were going to be a real competitive athlete. And uh, without it, you, you, you then lose out on an option of escape for yourself. You lose it. And this, these are real critical areas, especially, again, many members in our community of color are dealing with a level of stress that some people have no idea, no idea whatsoever, you know. And the impact of that stress, what it will do to you, you know, it can cut your life short and what have you. It can cut your relationship with other people that you need to have in your circle. It can cut that short, too, you know. And so when I think about the, the value of mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, it, it just puts you in a, a different frame of mind, a different way of thinking, and so on. You know? And um, So you I, mentioned the idea yeah. that the stress that um, people of color feel like cuts their life short in a way. It can. So, the National Health Institute actually says that on average, Black men die more than seven years earlier than U.S. women of all races and younger than all groups of men except Native Americans. So do you think that kind of comes from like that inability that you're talking about to reach out from help and also the stress that comes just from living as a person of color? I think with a lot, a lot, yes, 
what you just said. But in addition to that, think about one of the first questions you often get asked. What are you going to be? What do you want to do with your life? Well, some people can answer that because they have family examples. Then there are some families that can't answer that question, you know, and then you're asking them to go through an educational system that still is questionable. How much are they learning that will pertain to helping them move through life and what have you? And so uh, there's still so many caveats to this issue of them dealing with stress that uh, most people don't pay attention to, you know. Uh, why is it that our current educational system wants to remove the accomplishments of people of color, which is great for these young people to see that I have somebody to value or someone important in my life that looks like me. But if you take that away from them, what do they then have? Yeah. I think as that, a role yeah. model, as a means of motivation and so on. Everybody's got to have a role model. I think the educational aspect of it really differs too, based on like if you're living in a rural community or a more oh, urban yes. community. Sure. I've attended both schools in both communities, and the difference in education about people of color and the accomplishments of Black people mm-hmm. is so much different in both settings. Sure. Exactly. So do you yeah. you both have experience in larger communities and smaller communities. Do you think that also has um, some kind of impact on that? Oh yes. Oh yeah. I when I think about the people I met in Shadrin, Nebraska, and what have you, and their impressions of people of color, you know, and then I come to Lincoln, and and then I go back home, and it's like everybody's got a different picture, you know. And um, to answer your question more directly. The folks in rural, if I may use that expression, rural Nebraska, they have a very warped perception. And and everybody likes to lump everybody in, as opposed to you as an individual. Here's who you are and what have you. Because even in Shadron, people were making assumptions about me and other people that look like me. Whereas I'm an individual, you know. Don't use me as the overall example of one. I'm an individual. And so uh, if I may just sum that all up, um, it's very challenging with all the stereotypes out there and so on. Um, I often, and I try not to use this expression, I think at times people that don't interact with culturally diverse populations, they have a perspective that's very skewed, so to speak, you know, (laughs) Versus the person that at least is willing to take some time to roll up his or her sleeve and get to know the people as individuals and what have you. And to avoid stereotypes, of, you know, and all that good stuff, you know. Yeah. That's, again, that's a great question. Um, also, back to the other question about, you know, what are some other things that could be done to help kind of support this? So I think another thing, as we've talked about, just the uh, advocacy and um, the importance of finances. So yesterday for me, I, I was involved with something. I'm saying this somewhat, over-exaggerating somewhat, you know, but I had the opportunity yesterday to schedule like an appointment at like six o'clock in the evening. So I say it was so refreshing because typically I'm only able to, you know, you're between whatever and 4.30 and that's your last appointment. So last night I was able to schedule this late appointment 
And I thought for me, it was so refreshing, but also I just thought from a health equity standpoint, again, that that is something that would help a lot of people from underserved communities, right. especially number one is that those people that can't get off work, you know, those people that have to make that decision between do I go unpaid to go to an appointment or do I not? So yesterday again was just a great opportunity that, and a reminder that there are places now starting to open up that says, you can come to this late appointment. We have this available, you know, where that person can again go to that appointment instead of making a decision about their finances. And also that will help with the advocacy part because for those people that are frontline workers that might uh, increase the likelihood that their spouse, significant other, or their children, even in some cases, might be able to help them to attend that appointment so that they can better advocate for that individual and, and advocate on that person's behalf. So like I say, I say it somewhat facetiously, it was great, but in a way, especially when you talk about health disparities, it was very awesome to be able to have that option. Sure, exactly. Very much so. That sounds like progress and another element of bringing the clinic to the community, even though it's mm -hmm. still at the clinic, but it's still, it's opening it up to make it gotcha. more accessible to the community. So, so in, in kind of summary here, these, these solutions that you're proposing um, to help African-American men um, access health at a rate that would be acceptable for all humans Mm -hmm. uh, we we want to see the clinic come to the community more. We want to see no health and healthcare normalized, having mm -hmm. those conversations, just elevating it, normalizing it, and having it be a whole health model. Like mm -hmm. you said, Dr. Kirkland, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, it's mm -hmm. all a part of us. So having mm -hmm. health be, be ingrained in all of those elements. Right. And what I'm hearing really from you and these stories that you're sharing the need for empathy yes to look at the individual yes to be person-centered and person-focused yes and really walk yeah. in the other person's shoes yes is correct mm -hmm. right yeah yep that's a great summary <laughs> and the advocacy you guys are asking for for from like other black men to even speak out about their experiences with healthcare and that it's okay to see a physician it's okay to get help for your mental yes. or your physical health do you think that um, those discussions need to be led by like specifically black men, or do you think other people can also lead these discussions? I believe others can. I, I'm going to speak for myself, Elton. I believe others can. Uh, however, the conversation gets enriched when it is by people mm -hmm. of color, you know, because you, you really still want that rich dialogue. And uh, that can only truly take place, in my opinion, when it is person to persons of color. The other helps, yeah. but, you know. Yeah. It's more effective yeah. when it comes from someone that looks like you. Sure. You can relate to them yeah. more. Right. And yeah. you can be demanding, too. Well, you better get yeah. yourself in there and get <laughs> some help quick, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I agree with Dr. Kirkland. I think it could be both. So I think it could be that, that discussion, Can I, I think, can occur with anyone. And whether irrespective of their race or culture, they can have that discussion. But it is, as Dr. Kirkland said, like for me, I could just automatically go into a different group that I'm in and say, got your checkup. Why haven't you? This is what you need to do. So for me, I can go in kind of uh, because I know that it's myself and I know I have those same feelings. 
I'm more willing to address it head on as a discussion point, which would again enrich that discussion and that dialogue. We thank you so much for being a part thank of this. Thank you for the opportunity. For your stories. Yeah, Dr. Kirk. Nice meeting you, young lady. Especially you. Lincoln High. That's where our kids went to school at Lincoln High. That's one of the better schools we think in the city of Lincoln. That's yeah. Very good. Yes. Thank you both. So and thank you, Elton, for the invitation as well. Thank, yes, thank, thank you, Dr. Kirkwood. That was awesome.